Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. Hey there, everyone. So this is an exciting podcast episode. Sean is with me, my co-host. And Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am excited to talk about this episode today because this episode is we are recording this one day after the five year um, tradition of the Congress Party in China, the Communist Congress Party. They held it once every five years. And essentially, from my understanding, is that in this Congress, the president or the leader of the Communist Party uh, pretty much stands up in front of a podium and visionizes or tells everyone what's going to be coming up in within the next five years um it, it, am i correct to say that sean yeah mm-hmm. okay cool and so a lot of stuff has happened and unfortunately i haven't seen the speech full on just yet i don't know if it's been posted yet but i've been reading massive amounts of articles uh that kind of summarize the key points and direct quotation that President Xi Jinping uh, stated in his address to the rest of China. And so this was a Bloomberg article uh, that was written up on October 15, 2022 at 9.21 p.m. And it was just updated on October 16th at 7.34 p.m. Uh, I don't know what the time signature is, but... There's a lot of talking points. And so, Sean, would you like to go over a couple of the talking points or would you just want me to list them out right now? Um, you could you could start listing them out. Yeah. All right. So the main idea of the Bloomberg article was to pretty much put up the key points uh, of what's going to be happening within the next five years, at least according to President Xi. And these are the key points directly from the Bloomberg article that we were taking it from, and we'll post the uh, references down below so that you all can uh, read the article and come to your own conclusion. But uh, the main key points, or at least all the key points that they've listed was frugality, common prosperity, COVID zero, the economy, Taiwan, Hong Kong, the tech crackdown, the military, the green goals, the developmental models, as well as foreign policy. And these are the big topics that has been in the news quite, quite frequently in the past year, ever since, you know, COVID happened and, you know, there's zero COVID policy, et cetera. And so where would you like to start, Sean? There's so Um, many to start on. What would you like to start on? Um, What specifically did he say about frugality? Okay, so in the frugality, this is his quote, and I quote this directly from Bloomberg, but his Mm -hmm. quote in frugality is, we will foster an ethos of work, enterprise, dedication, creativity, and frugality throughout society and cultivate new trends and new customs for our time, end quote. So that's President Xi stating that in, you know, what is it, uh, in the address, and it it, it kind of has an open ended interpretation. Mm-hmm. I, at least I got I got some interpretation from it. Now the context that Bloomberg saw it was completely different from what I saw. But I wanted to know, Sean, when you hear "we will foster an ethos of work, enterprise, dedication, creativity, and frugality throughout society, cultivate new trends and new customs for our time," what does that mean for you? So. I have heard people talk about China in the following way. They would say uh, Chinese people uh, save too much money. Mm -hmm. And I mean, not necessarily too much, but the idea is China has to export all these goods to America because America consumes Mm -hmm. and the economic engine is driven by this circle of consuming and producing and China, the idea was that China wants to foster and grow its consumptive capacity mm-hmm. so that it has its own internal circle of consuming and producing, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so they would, uh, the idea was that China 
I think in, this was American observers sort of looking at China and saying, oh, the move we see in their future is they're going to foster consumptive activity and create a consumer society where people are more excited about buying things. Mm-hmm. And this seems like he's saying the opposite. It seems that way. Hmm. Um, and yep. okay. it's, so it's very thought provoking from that angle, you know, mm-hmm. that is um, like, what is the strategy behind that? I mean, there is, I don't know. It's, it's thought provoking. It's, it's like, he still wants to keep, uh, continue with China as being sabers and sort of double down on that, you know? Well, okay. So I came to a different conclusion and mm-hmm. we might be saying the same thing. Okay. So, but when I'm thinking in terms of frugality, I'm not, I'm not thinking about savings necessarily completely like, Oh, if I made like a hundred dollars, I'm going to save, you know, like $80 and only live off of $20 or something like that. So um, when I'm hearing the word frugality, I'm, I'm, I'm predicting. Okay. And this is, this is just with in context of what he said prior, which is, we're going to foster an ethos of work, enterprise, dedication, creativity, and frugality. I, for me, when you're talking about ethos of work, I feel like he believes that the current generation is not working efficiently enough in the work environment. Maybe they are too lax or they're on social media too often. I don't know. But it feels like he's trying to put in a harder work ethic in the culture overall uh enterprise and dedication well when you're going for an enterprise and when you're dedicating your time to enterprise i've and including creativity with that i feel like he's referencing in the idea that he does see a potential cut from the ai world just because you know the us did a sanction on i don't know if sanctions right word, but he they did do a limit on what's being exported back into China in terms of uh, AI technology or semiconductor development. And so this to me kind of brings in the idea of, okay, well, we're playing with a environment that is cutting us out from external resources. So now we actually have to buckle down, put in our thinking cups and pretty much be innovative within our own country uh, and innovate in a way where we don't need to rely anymore on outside technology and we can build and become a world leading dominating uh, force in terms of these types of technology. And I think he's trying to instill that into the common uh, population where when we're building that creativity, we're dedicating our time to it, we're working on future enterprise to be innovative. Now that comes to a point of frugality, and I think this is where where I see frugality is frugality isn't necessarily being very saving with the money, but it's more so being efficient with the spending of money rather than wasting the spending on, you know, uh, going out every day, eating, you know, subscription based products, etc. He's saying be more a little bit more frugal, be a little bit more smart with your money, save a little bit more, but also spend it wisely. Um, and use that to boost uh, the common, what do I say, uh, common, <laughs> uh, boost the common productivity of China. I don't know if we're, we're saying the same message. I have a feeling that we kind of are, but this is just in the context of the actual quote itself. And this is what I'm thinking just based on the events that are currently happening within the last six months. Yeah, that does that. I can see that. Yeah, it's kind of um, it's really open ended. So yeah, I jumped on this point to start with just because it's the most uh, puzzling to me. It's very, it's it's kind of interesting. I don't know if um, if this is something he has been saying before or if this is a new one, right? I think this. Uh, yeah, might be I'm kind not of sure. Mm-hmm. Some of the other ones. Um, they seem to make more sense, you know, okay. green goals, 
COVID zero is something they've been pursuing for a long time. Yes. Common prosperity has mm-hmm. been uh, one of his things for a long time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the frugality one, I was like, hmm. And I still, yeah, there's. Uh, I think there's I, a multi-layered with this quote, in my mm-hmm. honest opinion. This this quote is very layered. Um, and again, anyone can interpret it very differently, right? So, mm-hmm. yep, it's puzzling. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping that my my viewpoint kind of kind of made a little sense, but <laughs> but anyways, so yeah, uh, frugality, that's a thing, and so I mean, you said that it was more of a savings type of uh, context, and you said that there was um, the potentially some negative aspect to it earlier. Do you do? You, would you like to explain just a little bit more on what, what you meant? Um, not necessarily negative, but being okay. different from uh, the expectation, you know, oh, okay. the idea. And, you know, maybe part of it is um, I, I see Xi Jinping is trying to uh, trying to turn China in a slightly more communistic or socialist direction but like slowly right Mm -hmm. he's trying to turn the boat like a ship and not necessarily intending to turn it all the way to like a soviet direction Mm -hmm. but just looking at um the hist you know the sort of deng xiaoping era Mm -hmm. this the results of that being that there's china's has all these billionaires china's people driving around in uh you know ferraris and lamborghinis and Mm -hmm. He's looking at that and saying, you know, it's time for us to start steering very slowly in the other direction. And so Hmm. um, talking about frugality, I do see it as maybe leaning against some kind of consumerism and um, and sort of worshiping wealth and the the signs of wealth being you know getting super stoked on the idea that i'm going to have rolexes and ferraris and saying you know maybe we're going to sort of suggest to the people to the young people in our as a country that we're not going to just go extreme in that direction that we're going to actually have frugality as one of our values continuing forward Hmm. does that make sense kind of maybe this is sort of my initial response to that no no uh again it's i'm because you and i i think now now that we kind of explain our viewpoints we're both seeing it very differently right and so are you saying that the younger generation what xi jinping is trying to do is tell the younger generation not to overspend on ferraris and lamborghinis and be more frugal and save their money more so or is it the um, exact opposite where save enough money so that you can spend on a Lamborghini and Ferrari? Which 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 direction are we taking? Um, let's see. I would say I would think he would not be stoked on the idea of anyone buying a Lamborghini or Ferrari. Now it's not to say that um a more middle class lifestyle is not something he's targeting. Because he also mm-hmm. said I think in the quote, he also mentioned entrepreneurship and stuff. So uh, the idea of making money and being successful is he he is not completely cutting against that, right? Can okay. you read the quote again? We will foster an ethos of work, enterprise, dedication, creativity, and frugality throughout society and cultivate new trends and new customs for our times. Hmm. So I do hear sort of what you're saying that he is mm-hmm. uh in that quote there is a yin mm-hmm. and a yang of mm-hmm. of making and spending money right mm-hmm. that it's not a full condemnation of making and spending money in fact it is uh a celebration of that mm-hmm. with that that you know it's it's the yin and the yang it's it's got both sides of the equation right mm-hmm. and he's maybe um just the fact that the frugality i think is a new 
I may be wrong, but the, but him touting frugality, I think is a new thing. And so it Mm. does seem to me like he wants to lean a little bit on that side of of the scale, you know, put a little bit more weight on the frugality side of the scale, Mm -hmm. but still he did mention, um, creativity and, uh, and enterprise. Mm -hmm. So, so, and I'm going to say this disclaimer, um, we are reading a translation of what he yeah. said in Chinese. And so these could be translated very differently from the actual true intention of the meaning in a Mandarin language. So that's a disclaimer right there. But I, I actually, now that, you know, you're, you're giving me more uh, insight on your perspective, I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel that this quote, is being targeted towards the younger generation, like you said, mm-hmm. but it's more so teaching the younger generation of delayed gratification, where you work mm-hmm. hard now and you know you're gonna reap the rewards if you invest more time, patience, etc. into it. I mean, this quote itself is reinforcing that concept of delayed gratification, where nowadays in our culture, you know, with social media and with the impulses and the constant you know attention that we can get just go by going on the internet um delayed gratification is something that's really hard for a lot of of our generation today like the process (laughs) the concept of delayed gratification is really hard and um this quote the frugality quote seems to be shadowing what delayed gratification is or seems to be encompassing what delayed gratification is yep i think you nailed it i think that's the the uh common thread through every piece of the quote Mm -hmm. and also i think the chinese view the current american um ethos Mm -hmm. and the what's popular among our young people and among our culture Mm -hmm. as being really hung up on instant gratification and i see that I think they see that as their advantage. Yes. I mean, if we look at the TikTok realm right now and not bashing mm-hmm. on TikTok or anything, I mean, TikTok is amazing. Uh, just for that instant burst of, you know, dopamine and endorphins, uh, you know, when you're watching something super funny or super motivating you know, within a 10, 15 second time frame. But it's, uh, they, they have that data, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it is a worldwide application that people around the world are using right now. TikTok and it's a Chinese based company. And so they have that data. They're able to analyze that. You know, it, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So were there one of the points that jumped out at you as being uh, the most interesting or the most? Well, for strange? me, for me, just because I am involved in a lot of investments that are in tech. So the tech crackdown was a really cool one. And uh, so here, I'm just going to read the quote uh, that President Xi stated um, in the Bloomberg. And so, uh, quote, we will focus on national strategic needs, gather strength to carry out indigenous and leading scientific and technology research and resolutely win the battle in key core technologies, end quote. So he's being extremely vague right now. Uh, Super vague. Um, just because he's kind of generalizing all the scientific and technology research, he's just like saying all any scientific and technology research we're, we're going to carry out. We're going to be very indigenous about it. We're going to be the lead in this sector, etc. And so when I'm analyzing this quote. And Sean, do you have a do you have an opinion before I, I I state mine? I don't want to be uh, influencing your your opinion on this. So uh, no, go ahead. Okay, okay. So so when I'm looking at this quote, what I'm breaking down, at least from my understanding of studying different ty- uh, Chinese um, companies that are in tech, like Alibaba, Tencent, you know, uh, I forgot the car company Mio. I think Mio's is it Mio. That sounds right. Yeah, sounds ish. Um, uh, a, a lot of car companies and stuff. I, I don't remember the names. I wrote it down all on a document, so I don't have to remember this stuff. But when I'm looking at this stuff, 
what I do see is one, the whole semiconductor issue, the microchip issue, where Taiwan is the main manufacturer of it. Uh, U.S. is cutting, uh, selling uh, the any of the uh, new semiconductors to China, at least for the American-based companies. What I'm seeing is now there's going to be a, a tightening of, not tightening, but more so a restriction on cloud-based development, algorithms, AI, etc. And so when he states we will focus on national strategic needs, he's pretty much implying that what China's going to do is they're going to look at their current circumstance. And I feel like this is like a go game where they are going to pretty much read out what would happen in a full sanction, right? You know, full cut away from all microchip development. We can't get anywhere. What's going to happen to our economy if that is going to uh, be the true future? Or what's going to happen if there is a tithe on silicon? What's going to happen if there's going to be a, a tithe on copper wiring, for instance, etc. So all of these type of industrial metals, industrial raw goods, what is going to happen? And so he's pretty much saying we're going to watch all the chess pieces. We're going to probably use our AI to develop some sort of game strategy, etc. Gather strength to carry out indigenous and leading scientific technology. When he's saying that, I feel like he's really looking for what is the strength that China has right now with their current technology? And is there a way to capitalize on that strength? And so it seems very optimistic that the biggest thing for China right now, at least, is the influence of Alibaba, Tencent, Ant Group, etc. That is the biggest, biggest tech influence that China has on a global economy. And so... Me being biased as I am, because I'm invested in a couple of those companies, I find this to be, okay, is this a good or a bad thing? I can't, I don't know yet, because I still need to do a little bit more research on it. I would like to think it's a very optimistic viewpoint. So, at least in my opinion. And res resolutely win the battle in key core technology. Well, again, they want to be us in the U.S., uh, on a good chunk of the comp competition right now. So as if they win the the battles, they're essentially the leading group in the world. And so that to me is he's really pushing for their tech sector to boom uh, within the next five years. And so right now, China's tech sector has been hit pretty hard lately just because of the uh, outcry of Jack Ma you know, the, the couple of comments that he made that kind of insulted the government. Um, they're trying to find a way to reinvigorate the tech sector and hopefully make it better and go forward from there. Thoughts? Yep. I think that is right. Um, yeah, I think specifically... I think of chips. Um, mm -hmm. There was a huge crackdown from the U.S. as far as um, allowing China to work together with U.S. companies, U.S. people on the technology. So mm -hmm. they are going to have to basically do some kind of a sprint, essentially. They're going to have yep. to really build up a domestic advanced chip production uh, technology and really it increases the importance of their anything they're doing with TSMC now Taiwan mm -hmm. and their relationship with the uh, Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing um, is becoming more and more important because they need that they need their own chip making capacity mm -hmm. and just to go along with that now they have to work with Taiwan right Mm -hmm. And so, because if America is going to cut them out, then Taiwan is the only major production area of microchips. Now, they could build their own plant, which they probably have, but it's not up to scale of what TSMC can do. And so, if we actually go forward into two quotes, I'm going to tie this in right now. 
two quotes. We, we've talked about this in the past of the unification plan that the Communist Party dreams of reunifying all of China, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least what they view to be part of China back into China. Yep. And so Taiwan being one of those uh, outlying colonies uh, or countries, sorry. Uh, and so in his speech, and I'm going to quote directly from, from this, he says, quote, we will continue to strive for peaceful reunification with the greatest sincerely, uh, sincerity, sincerely, and the utmost effort. But we will never promise to renounce the use of force, and we reserve the option of taking all measures necessary. The wheels of history are rolling on towards China's reunification and the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. The complete reunification of our country must be realized, and it can, without a doubt, be realized. So that's the uh, quote point for Taiwan. And I want you I want to read one more for Hong Kong, because Hong Kong was also a territory that China had its eye on for a long, long time. And so in the quote, in the face of turbulent developments in Hong Kong, the central government exercised its overall jurisdiction over the special administrative region as prescribed by China's constitution and the basic law of the Hong Kong special administrative region. It ensures that Hong Kong is governed by patriots. Order has been restored in Hong Kong, making a major turn for the better in the region. So, based on those two quotations and based on the understanding that China wants to reunify themselves back together uh, according to their perspective, it looks like they're winning in the Hong Kong front. So Hong Kong being a, a major player, you know, still a democratic area i believe for now um but there was a major event the last couple years that kind of made it more favorable for the communist party right Mm -hmm. and taiwan they're saying that they want to be as peaceful as they can because again in their perspective and i'm just taking from their perspective i feel that they don't want to hurt their own citizen if they truly view taiwan as being their own they don't want to fire any military type weapon on their own citizen right it, it, it just for us it's like us being with uh, puerto rico right it, it's a u.s uh, nation a u.s uh, territory right but it's it's like us firing on puerto rico when it's our own blood in essence might be a bad mm-hmm. example but bear with me <laughs> so mm-hmm. so they're trying to be as peaceful as they can but when push comes to shove and they're backed into the corner, they're pretty much saying, we're going to try the most peaceful approaches we can. But if you push us too far, we will use any means necessary to get our goal. Right. And so the question that comes to my mind is, where is the gray line? Then? Where is that solid line where what happens if we cross it? Is it end all be all kind of kind of situation? Either we are willing to go to war for them or not, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. And I kind of get the impression that we are not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Man, it's really hard to say. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What are what are your thoughts about that? <sighs> right now, China's being backed into a corner. Okay, mm-hmm. we, we know that it, they, they are surrounded on all sides and their backs are up against the wall. And President Xi Jinping is pretty much saying. We want to do this peacefully. We don't want any conflict. But we also don't want to show you that we are a weak nation because we have strength and power. And so. The statement is to tell you and warn you that, hey, if you push us far enough, we will retaliate and we will go. We will go at it. I think that was the overall message that she was trying to say to the rest of the world. Yeah, I think something that jumped out at me about the quote was he says history's wheels are turning. Yes. And um, it's not. I think no it's not history's wheels are turning your wheels are turning you're turning Mm -hmm. the wheels even by saying that right it's like he 
it's not ex- it's it's the it's a very gentle half threat or quasi threat mm-hmm. where it's like we it's important to us that this happens and this happens now and i think one of the um main arguments i suspect that one of the main arguments for him getting a third term mm-hmm. was that he was probably basically arguing we're in the middle of some important gambits that are not settled and will get settled within my next five-year term you know and one of them is taiwan i think he's basically saying by the end of his current term his five-year term that's starting now mm-hmm. he wants taiwan reunification to be done now the if you look at um hong kong and macau mm-hmm. they have these sort of like special arrangements mm-hmm. uh they have like you know i think it's called one country two systems mm-hmm. where there's like a major level of autonomy mm-hmm. and i think in a way some of the hong kong protests that occurred probably really impact the Taiwan situation because it makes the Taiwanese say, they look at the situation and say, Oh, okay. If you promise us that we have this, our own system and our own democracy, then you can come in later and say, Oh, never mind, We changed our mind. Mm-hmm. You know, cause that's, that's kind of how the Hong Kong people feel has happened to them. And mm-hmm. so the Taiwanese now, when they sit at the bargaining table and China says, oh, you guys can run your own system for 100 years or something like that. Taiwan's mm-hmm. going to say, oh, no, you're not going to let us do that. Like, you don't, you've taken, you've reneged on that promise before. Mm-hmm. You know? So hmm. that's just another dimension of it. Yeah. And I, I would like to add, and this is the third quote, okay, it's about the military. Um, we will, quote, we will intensify military training under combat conditions across the board to see that our armed forces can fight. We will innovate new military strategic guidance and develop strategies and tactics for people's war, establish a strong system of strategic deterrence, increase the proportion of new domain forces with new combat capabilities, and intensify military training under combat condition. So tying in with the whole Taiwan push up against the corner, He's just reinforcing to the rest of the world is like, hey, we're training now. We're preparing for war. Don't push us any further because we don't want to go to war, but we will if we have to. Um, yeah, he's pretty much saying the same thing, at least in three quotes. I don't know the order at which he did this talk because his talk was uh, two hours long or something like that. But it seems to be the same message. So, like I said, just tying in with Taiwan, Hong Kong, and the military quote, it seems to be that this this is a situation now. He's showing his teeth, he's showing his claws, and he's saying, if you get close, just like with any any prey that's being backed into a corner, they're gonna show signs of warning before they strike, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's the visualization I have. Um Any thoughts? Um, yeah, I this the whole situation seems like really complex, and I would love to hear what Taiwanese people mm-hmm. think about this and the kind of debates that they're having about it. Because um, there, I do know I've seen some things where many of them are kind of resigned. Mm-hmm. They they are in this weird kind of national limbo mm-hmm. where uh, they themselves would not have the power to defeat China. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't necessarily, I think kind of like you said before, they don't want to get themselves in the Ukraine situation mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, cause I saw this, this video, I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but there was this, there's a YouTube channel called real life lore Mm -hmm. and they have a lot of great videos about um conflicts and stuff and they had a video about taiwan and how it would be tremendously difficult for china to invade taiwan um Mm -hmm. when america invaded europe in world war ii 
uh, it was just gigantic. It was a coordinated effort, not just with America, but all the allies essentially landed on Europe at the same time. And we all landed about 130,000 troops Um, for China to invade Taiwan. They estimated China would need to land 400,000 troops. So it would be three times larger than D-Day. It would be an amphibious assault. And there are not many places on Taiwan where you can land like that. Uh, The side that's facing away from China is very mountainous. So you have to land on the side that is facing China. Mm -hmm. And there's just a handful of places where you can land. And Taiwan essentially just has to defend those. And so at some, so imagine what would happen is at some areas, maybe China gets a foothold, gets a bunch of troops on there, and then they're going to be in this grinding Ukraine style war where they're up against, you know, smart weapons and, you know, you're, let's say you're surrounded by a neighborhood. All those people want you to go away. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the thing about invading someone is just like everyone, you know, uh, women will come out of their house and start throwing things at you. Like you, it's just everywhere, you know? And if you're, if you have this, if you're on land, you can roll in just tons and tons of tanks and march in hordes of soldiers and just say, sorry, we're the boss now, but on Taiwan, you have to land them all on boats or airplanes, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a very tricky thing. And but that doesn't mean that Taiwan is happy to have this fight, right? Because what it's going to be is this long, slow grind. It could easily turn into this war of attrition. And being caught in the middle of that, even if you have the United States help, you're caught in the middle and the battleground is my backyard. And it's like, this is no fun, you know? Hmm. So I'm sure there's a lot of Taiwanese people that are saying, look, we're kind of checkmated. We should just make peace and maybe China isn't so bad. And then there's probably other people saying, no way, we don't want to pick that side, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's tricky. I would love to hear the Taiwanese perspective on this whole thing. Yeah, me too. Unfortunately, we don't have, uh, we're, it's just us two right now. So uh, yeah. if you are Taiwanese and you have a different perspective, please contact us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to pause it really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked up what do the Taiwanese think about all this? And one interesting factoid to throw into the mix is they've been doing polls asking Taiwanese people, how likely do you think the United States will send troops to defend Taiwan if Mm. China invades? Okay. Um, So there's been a flip Mm -hmm. Uh, during um, 2020 and 2021. Uh um, Taiwanese thought it was about 60% likely to about 30% unlikely mm-hmm. that uh, United States would help. So mm-hmm. they, they were leaning towards the idea that the United States was help. In 2022, it has flipped. Ooh. So um, they, it now seems to be that about 55% of Taiwanese think that it is unlikely that the United States would help and about 34% think that it is likely. What? Wait, so I don't know what made them flip because huh. first I was looking at it thinking, well, is it the, it was it the change from Trump to Biden uh-huh. and the timing doesn't line up. It could be that there was a delay where they weren't necessarily fully conscious of the difference between, uh, Trump and Biden on this issue, although that doesn't sound likely as I think about it. So I don't know why it flipped. It it flipped sometime around, you know, in winter of 2021, 2022. It just flipped. And I don't know why. Maybe uh, Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine has happened in that time. So it could just be the case that um, they. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Ukraine from Taiwan's perspective, Mm -hmm. it seemed like the whole reason America was willing to let the Ukraine conflict happen was because they wanted to help Ukraine because they wanted to welcome them into NATO Mm -hmm. and be on their side. Mm -hmm. And now the war starts and 
even in the the moments leading up to the war when american intelligence was saying this war is going to start um they didn't just have ukraine's back they didn't just say yes we'll defend you yes we'll send troops yes we'll do this Mm -hmm. they were just like they just kind of let it happen and now there's ukraine is seemingly in a way from a from a sort of un perspective ukraine is on their own in reality ukraine is not on their own they're getting technology intelligence uh starlink you know they're getting a bunch of help from the united states but not explicitly a large amounts of guys with guns and Mm -hmm. you know american large weapons and stuff they're getting small stuff Mm -hmm. and very effective stuff but it's effective in the sense that it is slow and grinding like i was talking about the kind of help that taiwan wouldn't be super excited about Mm. it's like thanks for uh using our country as a battlefield to prolong a war and to bleed china out like that's great for you but not for us we don't Mm. want to be your method of bleeding china out and weakening them over the long term Mm -hmm. we want to not have a fight in our backyard you know so i think it probably has something to do with ukraine huh i have no idea yeah that that's a that's very concerning then right Mm -hmm. and I believe we talked in a couple of podcasts before too that a lot of companies in Taiwan are now moving their facilities out of Taiwan into South Asian countries. And 30% of them still wants to maintain relationships with mainland China. So, mm-hmm. you know, it could be the influence uh, of those 30% as well, influencing the younger generation, etc. that might be causing this too it's a very interesting situation Mm -hmm. yeah there's probably some information warfare going on there sir yeah people trying to sway the opinion of the taiwanese people because you know in for for everybody the best situation would be a peaceful situation right america wants uh taiwan to remain peacefully independent and democratic Mm-hmm. China wants Taiwan to remain to come peacefully to them. You know, uh-huh. you know um, the war is the outcome that really nobody wants. And of course, mm-hmm. unfortunately, war sometimes has a way of happening, even when it's something that nobody wants to happen. Mm-hmm. So that's the tricky part. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Wow. So, economics. Quote. High quality development is the top priority of building a socialist modern country in all aspects. Development is the party's top priority in governing. It's impossible to build a socialist modern strong country in all aspects without solid material and technology foundation. Oh, this is a big one. Um, Would you like to start the analytical digestion (laughs) digestion of the economy quote here um sure i think so development um china has done an amazing job of developing so far um yes just you know look at the last two decades i mean that's yeah yeah and so like you can look at it at gdp growth rates and in per capita gdp so like their gdp has uh grown extremely rapidly over mm-hmm. the last 20, 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, in some ways, they are approaching developed status. And there are some economic analysts that think they're getting to the point where the extremely high sort of like 6 to 8% per year growth rate, that is uh, becoming impossible. Mm-hmm. Like as you become a developed country, you almost can't grow that fast because you're on the edge. There's no more easy development to do. Now you're on the hard part of development where you have to do brand new stuff. Yeah, you have to be innovative, um, which ties in yeah. with the other quote. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now, if you look at it from GDP per capita, I think uh, China's GDP per capita is like half or less than half of the United States. So that indicates that actually there might be more room for some pretty rapid growth. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or putting it in another way, there's still large numbers of people that could be lifted up more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there, you know, there's so many freaking people in China. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the rate at which they've been building cities and they've got tons of these gigantic cities, um, but there's still more they can do. The tricky part is sort of like, uh, how do you land that plane? You don't want to hit the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some of their struggles in real estate have been kind of around this, that they, they essentially um, are, have a growth rocket ship in terms of real estate and the rocket ship, if it, you know, it sputters a little, it could, it could be disastrous. And so they're kind of thinking like, how do we get on a glide path where, you know, where we can smoothly transition into the era where everyone has a decent place to live, mm-hmm. you know, once, cause once we arrive there, that entire engine of building it all stops. Yeah. You don't want it to suddenly stop. You want it to smoothly taper down, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, very interesting. How about, how about you? What were you thinking on that? Well, just to build on your points and there's a couple things that, uh, stood out to me, which is number one, the real estate market is in shambles right now in China, uh, just because of their approach to real estate. And I remember watching a video, I think it was on The Economist or something on YouTube, where they talked about the housing issue of China. And one of the big things is that there is a pretty much a monopoly on the real estate market mm-hmm. where one company owns or is leasing most of these lands out and they seek investors investments from the common individual uh, where if they purchase say an apartment within this apartment building for x number of yens uh, or yuans i forget what's the i think it's yens right or is it yuan uh yuan yuan right mm-hmm. um then what's going to happen is that in 10, 15 years time, when it's finally built, you will own this piece of property on, on the leased land. And what's occurring right now in China is that this company that's been doing this has in essence been promising people that there will be development. It's, it's going to be made. And so people invest in one building and what they do is they pretty much take the cash from that one building and do what banks do where they put down payments on multiple plots of other buildings. So the cash is never really being used to develop a building, but it's being used to purchase more potential buildings. And they they keep doing this where it's spread it like wildfire. You know how the bank, if you, you give a bank $100, they're required to keep $10 in their vaults, but the other $90 they can loan out, right? And mm-hmm. so that's essentially what this banking company firm did. And now people are upset about it. The, the population is upset about it. And what's happening is that the foundation of the biggest sector in China, which is real estate, is crumbling. And so uh, when, uh, when I read the quote saying that we need high quality development is the top priority, well, that pretty much is signifying that they're trying to fix this issue right now and try to prevent it from the bubble collapsing completely, right? It's mm-hmm. deflated for a little bit. It hasn't collapsed just yet from my understanding. And so he's pretty much saying, yeah, we're, we're going to try to do what we can to reflate it back up. Um, and the other point that, you know, I'm looking into at least just based on the, the quotation itself. And I, and I forgot Everything that you said, to be honest, <laughs> uh, because my mind works a one track mind. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't multitask for the life of me. But just reading the quote, he's saying that he wants to build a strong, socialist, modernized country. Ah, I remember what I wanted to what, what I wanted to uh, say. OK. Mm-hmm. And you brought up the idea that the GDP, depending on whether we're working with GDP or GDP per capita, um, at least for those who are not familiar with economics or not familiar with the term per capita, who, whoever's listening, uh, this, this is a very confusing topic because, you know, GDP is gross domestic production, right? So it's, uh, <laughs> what 
the nation does overall in terms of productivity uh, in compared to the rest of the world. Again, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Yep. Um, but GDP per capita is not the whole country. You're not looking at a whole country in terms of their productivity. When we're using the word per capita, what we're really saying is the individual. How much are they producing individually? And so you said that per capita, we're half of that of what the United States is doing in terms of China's perspective, right? Yes. And so there is still a huge growth there. Uh, if if all the Chinese citizens can produce an average per capita equal to the United States, and they're about, and we're like twice as more productive as them right now, um, their economy is going to blow out of the water. Uh, and that kind of ties in with his previous quote where the tech crackdown, where they're trying to do more work ethic, more innovation, more enterprise, etc. Because I think he sees that for the economy to grow, productivity per capita, per individual has to grow as well. And the only way that you can get someone to be more productive is to have a better work culture, right? And mm -hmm. with innovation, with creativity attached with it. And so to build a strong socialist modern nation, um, and this goes with uh, the old adage saying, and I'm totally mis misreading this old saying, but I, I remember an old saying says that for you to build a strong tower, you need to have a good foundation or for you to build a good home, the foundation must be strong or something like that. And mm -hmm. I think that's what he's implying here is that for us to even build a strong, modern socialist country, our foundation internally has to be strong as well. Uh, otherwise, we will never be able to prosper and spread influence from their perspective, like I said. Yep. Okay? And this kind of ties in with one of the other quotes here. And I want to, this one was a very interesting quote, and I think you'll you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, let me see if I can find it, though. Mm -hmm. uh, da, 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 da. Is it COVID zero? No, it's not COVID zero. It is common prosperity. Okay, mm -hmm. so this ties in with the common prosperity. And so this is his quote, quote, we will steadfastly push for common prosperity. Okay, we will improve the system of income distribution. We will ensure more pay for more work and encourage people to achieve prosperity through hard work. Again, reinforcing what we're just saying. Mm -hmm. Okay, we will promote equality of opportunity, increase the income of low income earners, and expand the size of the middle income group. We will keep income distribution and the means of accumulating wealth well regulated. Again, with socialism, with any type of communism, it's you know, uh, spread the wealth evenly so that everyone benefits, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but the key thing that I do want to want to note here is that this was a really funny phrase that he put in we will promote equality of opportunity hmm. what does that mean to you equality of opportunity um yeah so anyone has a shot right yes. um making sure that people are not getting unfair advantages mm -hmm. so i think um you know for in chinese cultures the educational system is critically important yes in every culture but there's certainly there may be a little more even conscious of that mm -hmm. but um and i think a rich family is able to get extra tutoring and extra ways of boosting their kid through the system you know are we talking about a Western civilization or an Eastern civilization? Well, both. Okay. But I think, um, I think in China, this problem uh, bothers people way, way, way more in mm -hmm. terms of both in the leadership and in, in the average person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've heard about people, some articles about this in the United States, so people could pay for uh, tutoring for SATs and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. But in China, it's like, people are looking at this saying it's they're like cheating you know mm -hmm. and we're supposed to we're supposedly a communist country and we're supposedly a meritocracy mm -hmm. and 
people are just totally violating that. And so I think he, that would be part of what he's pointing at. That's the first thing I think of in terms of uh, equality of opportunity is saying, we're not going to let people get these unfair advantages and we're going to make sure that um, people aren't falling through the cracks. You know, Mm -hmm. if we have a smart young person, we want to make sure that they're making the max contribution they can, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. And this kind of is a stab, I feel, at a Western civilization. Because mm-hmm. what I feel that we are promoting nowadays in our own culture is equality of outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Where we want to have everyone be able to achieve and show that they can achieve the same type of outcome. And this is something that I guess on the Eastern front, it's something that they highly disagree with. I mean, for him to even put it in a quotation in his speech, it, 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 it's, it's a big statement to say equality of opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Um, because with equality of outcome, what does that mean? That means that wherever you start, say that you came from a super well-off family and you're able to uh, produce quite a bit, in terms of equality of outcome, of a person who doesn't come from that same background, they're going to be given a lot extra, a lot more extra help, which is, you know, a very beneficial thing for that individual because not everyone can afford tutoring, for instance. But this then causes two, two, two results from it. Number one, we have a fair, fair playing ground, which is the whole point of equality of outcome. But number two, now we have more animosity towards the two groups where the person who was able to afford the um, tutoring and everything, you know, is looking at the person who was given more of a equal playing field as, well, I, I spent all this money for tutoring, but this person didn't really need to spend that much. And they got it for free in terms of like help, for for instance, and they were able to produce the same outcome versus I had to pay more. So there's that little tiny little conflict. But over time, that tiny conflict will magnify if left alone, right? Mm -hmm. And I think with with this statement, President Xi Jinping is saying that not everyone is going to give us the same outcome. You cannot join, for instance, a basketball team and expect that everyone can join this team because we want the best of the best. And if we have equality of outcome for the best of the best, essentially the sport is dead, right? Because, you know, a person who's four foot nine versus a person who's seven foot one, the seven foot one is going to win at basketball. It just has a much higher physical advantage, right? Mm -hmm. So equality outcome doesn't make sense in that regard. And so what he's saying is that with equality of opportunity, you all have a shot, but you guys might not all get it. And understand that if you don't get it, then there's another place for you. You have equal opportunity everywhere. And I think that's what he's trying to get in terms of common prosperity, because everyone has a role. It's a very Confucius way of thinking where there's a meaning, there's a role for everyone. You know, you have the hierarchical structure, you have that um, that really foundational structure, and if you play your part, then everyone prospers in the community. And I think that's what he's trying to get at. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you see that the Western culture is more equality outcome or equality of opportunity? I think... Um, mm, I see both. Mm-hmm. Um, I see uh, that there is maybe not so much focus on equality of opportunity that people that there's more of like right and left, where yeah. the right would be more about freedom and liberty and um, like equality of opportunity at a much in a in a very inactive way mm-hmm. 
in terms of like you don't get any help kind yeah. type of opportunity okay um and then on the flip side there are plenty of people who are pushing for equality of outcome you know mm-hmm. and uh yeah which is which is you know tricky it's 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 not it's interesting because i feel like um confucian cultures have a much deeper and richer uh mental model of the Mm trade-offs involved in that type of thing Mm -hmm. um because they have thousands of years of thinking about it and of uh sort of parsing and tempering and deepening the uh confucian sayings about this and some of the other uh confucian philosophers Mm -hmm. whereas um in the west we it's more about people fighting about it and taking extreme positions Hmm. you know um initially that's something you know i would want to think more deeply about but Mm -hmm. it is uh it's an interesting set of issues yeah it's it he's going deep in in these (laughs) these speeches here um Mm. and we're just we're just touching on the main points that this bloomberg article has found (laughs) we're not even going through the whole entire speech yet um and his speech was two hours long can you believe that sitting there for two hours listening to him talk that's that's all you know now they might have done some like the clapping thing like if you've ever seen um the you the american state of the union address where he's like he delivers a sentence they clap for five minutes. He delivers mm-hmm. the next sentence. They clap another five minutes, you know, mm-hmm. so it could have been something like that, or he could have been talking for two hours, but mm-hmm. it was definitely a big speech. That's for sure. Yeah. But if you look at all the main points, they all tie in together. I mean, the green goals, COVID zero, that's health, that's technology that ties in with what he's trying to say is we're trying to improve in these sectors. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I think that's pretty much it for all the main points. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've talked about it all, and it pretty much is summed up in the tech crackdown quote and the ec- economy quote. I think those two quotes pretty much sum up the rest. Or sorry, frugality. Frugality and the eco- economy. Those two quotes, I think, sums up everything that mm-hmm. he's trying to say. Delay gratification, work hard, build a uh, um, a stronger foundation i mean that's developmental model right build a stronger foundation and prosper have the average person prosper more and i i think that's that's the key takeaways from here what do you think yeah i agree All right and so any last minute thoughts sayings sean we we yeah. we tore this for about an hour and a half so <laughs> yeah this was a long one yeah so what do you think overall the next five years of china do, do you see it being turbulent do you see it being more eased into like a upward trend i mean what is your opinion about these takeaways and 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 the prospects that we're currently seeing I see the world being turbulent. Mm-hmm. Um, I do wonder if maybe part of like, you know, I see China probably wants to get Taiwan within the next five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they may be doing is just, uh, there's a lot of, as America is going on its journey, there's a lot of sort of banana peels being thrown on the ground in front of America. Mm-hmm. And there's many opportunities for America to slip. and uh that could be their moment i think that might be kind of the idea that they're looking at is they want to come out of this with taiwan and a lot of upheaval is going to happen because there's the ukraine conflict there's europe there's a variety of economic issues sovereign debt questions there's a variety of you know stuff going on in the world so i think the next five to ten years will be quite tumultuous overall Mm-hmm. And I think China is basically looking forward and saying, here's the things we want to come out of this with, you know, and we're not going to be hyper ambitious, hyper greedy. We have essentially one big change and then other things that we are planning to evolve in that direction. Mm. You know, how about you? What do you think? I'm pretty much on the same boat as you. 
I mm -hmm. think that it's going to be very turbulent the next five years in terms of global issues. Um, and I feel that China is going to try to be a little bit more forceful in a lot of ways, uh, just because of the current predicament that they're in right now. And whether or not we will accept it as a Western civilization, that that is where it becomes turbulent, really turbulent. And I'm hoping for the best outcome, where it's a peaceful, smooth growth for both countries. Um, I feel that to you know really advance as a human civilization, we both need to work together and you know colonize Mars or something like work with Elon, right? Um, start becoming interplanetary type of species. But you know, with these conflicts right here. It's it's really doing us more harm than good, and nothing ever comes good out of a war, on both sides. And it's 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 a tough predicament to to be in. I'm hopeful. Uh, long story short, I'm hopeful for the best outcome, and I think that being two superpowers, I think that we can come to a very good conclusion hopefully advantageous for us um and make a peaceful deal at least that's my optimistic view mm -hmm. so yeah yeah that's definitely a way to hope for <laughs> yeah <laughs> well anyways i think this is a good place to stop what do you think yeah all right. So thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this podcast all the way till the end. This is our take, our breakdown of the main key takeaways, according to the Bloomberg, of uh, Xi Jinping's address to uh, Congress, to their Congress uh, this past Sunday. So uh, if you like the content, please don't forget to give us a follow subscription or comment down below. Uh, and tell us your opinions on what you think the overall uh, outlook is for the next five years, at least in China. All right. Well, anyone, everyone, take care, and we will see you in the next recording.